0: Hi there, I'm John Carter up here in Northern Iraq in the old city of Nineveh, Nineveh was once the greatest city of the ancient world. It was the capital of the mighty Assyrian Empire. I'm going to answer today the question, who were the bloodthirsty tyrants who ruled over this massive empire? What strange message is written for us today in their mysterious writings? And listen, why was this tremendous city, this tremendous place with all its power and all its glory and all its might, why? was not lost to the world for more than 2,000 years? We're going to answer these questions today in the Shrine Auditorium downtown Los Angeles and I want you to come and join us for the Carter Report. Prophecy. It's used to peer into the future, but it must be learned from the past. The Carter Report presents Focus on Prophecy. From the Shrine Auditorium in downtown Los Angeles, John Carter unravels the mysteries of Bible prophets and brings modern meaning to this ancient book. And now, John Carter. On a Monday night in Los Angeles, with the roads clagged like they are, such a tremendous crowd of people here. I think that's really wonderful. And if I could clap for all of you, I'd clap for all of you. Tonight we're going to continue our talk on the wonderful world of biblical archaeology. Tonight we're going to take you to these places, Petra. Why was Petra lost for thousands of years? Why was this tremendous city of fabulous wealth lost? Then we're going to take you to Nineveh, and we're going to ask this question, who were the fierce kings who reigned over the vast Assyrian empire? Is the Bible accurate? Or is it simply a collection of pious myths? What do the cuneiform tablets have to say concerning the ancient Hebrew Christian scriptures? Then we're going to take you to the, the city of Tyre. What amazing prediction caused the city to be buried under the sea? Have you ever heard this amazing story, friend? It's almost too hard to believe that this great city, the the New York of the ancient world, was actually buried under the sea. A subterranean city it is today. What caused the city to be buried right underneath the sea? Then I'm going to take you to Ebla. What fantastic finds in this amazing city have influenced many scholars to change their thinking about ancient races. And uh, then I'm going to take you to Nimrod. I was the, the first foreigner allowed into the country of Iraq to take in a, a, a television crew, and we did this just a few months ago and we film the treasures. Now I'm not going to show you any of the television film tonight because we're not set up to do this, but I am going to show you some pictures that I took with my Hasselblad camera and we're going to put these up on the screens. And uh, tonight, when we get towards the close of the program, we're going to pull it all together. Now, this is the archaeologist himself who has become a friend of mine. And gentlemen, I just want you to hold it there for a moment. The men on the the projectors do a a fantastic job. And I want to come over now. We're going to start our meeting by giving you just a little geography lesson. So we know where we're going to be going tonight and so we, we don't get lost. Now, here is the Mediterranean Sea. And there is the the Nile Valley that we spoke about uh, last night for six times over the last weekend when we had thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people come to those programs. We're going to take you tonight over here. We're going to go up to the city of Ebla. That's a red-hot discovery. Not many people know about Ebla. And then just for interest's sake, I'm going to also take you to Damascus. Damascus. And then we're going to come down a little further south, just in here, and we're going to go to the fabulous city of the Edomites and the Nabataeans, the old city of Petra. And then right on the coast here, oops, does this want to work? No, it doesn't want to work, so I'll get another piece of of chalk. I'm going to take you to the the city of of Tyre. That is the city that is buried today under the sea. The strangest story that you're ever going to hear out of the annals of archaeology. All of this is is fantastic material. My problem is I get so excited with this. Uh, I just get filled up with this and and it's it's so interesting and so exciting that I want to uh, I just want to communicate it with people around me. Then we're going to go over a little further to the Persian Gulf into the, the land of Mesopotamia. And we're going to take you there again tomorrow night when we go to the, the city of Babylon. Now that'll do there. There's the, there's the city of Babylon. And just a few miles from Babylon is the city of Baghdad. And we'll have a few pictures on the screen tonight of Baghdad. But then we are going to go further north and come to the city of Nineveh. That is the city that was made famous by the story, the Bible story, of Jonah and the whale. And just a few miles, now I've run out of blackboard, but look, this arrow there will will point to the the next city we want to go to. We're going to take you to the, the fabulous city of Nimrod, which was founded by the old tyrant Nimrod. You read about him in the book of Genesis, and uh, there has been a wonderful discovery just made up there in Nimrod, and I'm going to talk about that tonight. And uh, this is my television crew up there at uh, Nimrod. Nimrod was once a, a mighty military capital of the ancient Assyrian Empire. Now those of you folk here, and this will be many of you who get Time magazine, may remember reading this article that just came out a few months ago. It came out at the same time as the San Francisco uh, earthquake. This is the, the edition on the San Francisco earthquake. And it has not here the golden treasures of Nimrod. And it shows some of the stuff. And uh, it's an interesting thing that Time magazine said nobody else had ever been in there to get these pictures. They said we have the exclusive rights to these pictures. The amazing thing was that we got in there just a little while before Time magazine got in there and we got the first footage of this remarkable discovery. So we had been uh, very anxious to get to the, to the land of Iraq because this is where you have the great capital city of, of the old Babylonians and tomorrow night we're going to talk about the old Babylonians. Now listen, tonight's meeting is an interesting meeting and it's an, and it's an important meeting but the meeting t- tomorrow night is about the best one that I think you can ever come to when we take you right down to the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar and we tell you about this amazing dream that shattered a world empire. It is almost too hard to believe. But tonight we're going to take you from from Baghdad and we're going up here in the north of Iraq, up to the north of of Mesopotamia. Nimrod was established thousands of years ago. I don't know how many thousands of years ago. Probably originally it was built about 5,000 years ago by the tyrant Nimrod. And it became the military capital of the mighty Assyrian war machine. There was no war machine so dreadful and so mighty as the Assyrian war machine. And uh, when you read of the, you you hear the expression people say, you know, uh, I'm going to skin you alive. This comes from the Assyrians because they actually skinned their their enemies and their captives alive. They peeled the skin off their of their living bodies. They were a fierce Fierce, bloodthirsty people, and they became some of the the greatest opponents of the Jews. And so when you read the Bible, and I have a copy here tonight of the of the Jewish Bible and the Christian Bible, you read a great deal about kings like Sennacherib and King Sargon and, and all of these tremendous warlords. And so I went up there because the, the archaeologist over here on the left hand screen, that's not a very good picture because I took it in dark in the darkness. Uh, his name is Museum, he has become a friend of mine. Just a few months ago, Museum was was working up there at Nimrod. And they had gone through the sand of the desert there for years. For a hundred years, they had excavated around Nimrod, and they felt there was nothing more to find, not another single thing to find. And then all of a sudden, as he was working there, he discovered sticking up just a little thing. You know, how hey, you could miss this for a 100 years. But sticking up out of the sand, they saw something that looked like a clay pipe. And then when they, when they went on further, they opened it up, and then just a few feet under the ground, there were these tombs. There was this tomb, and it most likely was the tomb of a queen. And the queen was, was married to a great emperor by the name of Ashanaspal. And then as he dug a little further, he discovered another tomb, and most likely this was the tomb of the daughter of the great Sargon. Now, Sargon was one of the greatest emperors. You know, he's, he's mentioned in, in Egyptology, he's mentioned in all the, the ancient writings. And uh, he told me, now just hold it here, gentlemen, because these pictures have never been shown before uh, in, a, in a meeting like this anywhere in the world. I was given, and I'm so grateful to the Iraqi authorities who were tremendously gracious to me. They allowed me to take my film crew right into the Baghdad Museum, and there they have a treasury, and here they have this gold on display that weighs about 126 pounds. It was almost like another discovery from the tomb of Pharaoh Tatankamon. You think when they found Tatankamon's tomb, they found all of this gold and all of this jewelry, pounds and, and tons of the stuff, and nothing like this has ever been found before or after. But now some archaeologists are saying that this discovery is second only to the discovery of Pharaoh Tatankamon. And uh, there, as he was working, he said, he told me the story, he went down with me into the tomb and, and uh, we took our, our television camera down there and he said, I came upon this, this large chest. And he said, I, I, I got in a an iron pipe to, to prize it up like a crowbar. And he said, as I, as I prized it up, I held up the light. And he said, as I held up the light, all of a sudden, momentarily, he said, I was blinded. I said, why were you blinded? He said, I was blinded by this yellow light that flashed into my eyes. And he said, it was almost overpowering because as the light stabilized, he saw all of this gold. And... Uh, There were these bracelets and a a golden crown, exquisite craftsmanship. Now people say, what is the significance of all of these wonderful discoveries that you've been telling us about? Now friend, I'll tell you what the significance is. The significance is this these characters that you read about in the Bible like uh, Sennacherib and and Sargon and and the great battles they had with the children of Israel and the Jews, these are not just stories, these are not myths. Uh, This is not a load of balderdash. This is not, uh, as my American friends say, this is not phony baloney folks. This is genuine, this is true. And when I visit these places, As I come home, and I've taken my wife with me on many occasions, as I have visited these places, I've come back and I've said to Beverly, Beverly, the book was right about Egypt. There's no doubt about it, love, I say. It was right about about Moses, it was right about the Pharaoh of the Exodus, it was right about the Hittites, and then I go into Babylonia, and I discover it was right about Sargon. It was right about Sennacherib. It was right about these great emperors of the past. You see, this book is not a a collection of pious myths. This book is an historical, accurate record of the history of the human race. And you can believe it. It's true. You can believe it. People say, you know, what can you believe? There are so many things you can't believe. There are so many uh, can I say this with, with a charity to all men not wishing to offend any person? We live today in an age where there are so many religious charlatans and so many people who take you. But there are some things that you don't want to believe, but there are some things that you can believe. And when you see the evidence, it does something to your faith to know that you're you're believing in something that is not uh, mythological, but you're believing in something that is real and true and good. 2,800 years ago, the Hebrew prophet Jonah came to the city of Nineveh. He walked along this place. He walked around this tremendous city, and it was a tremendous city. In fact, it was the greatest city of its day. It was the city that ruled over a massive empire, a huge empire. It was the city that ruled over the mighty Assyrian Empire. Now not only was this a city of of power and and opulence and, and wealth and extravagance, It was also a city of violence and crime and bloodshed not unlike the cities in the world today. And God sent the prophet Jonah. And God said, Jonah, you go along to Nineveh and you prophesy against that city and say to that city, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And so Jonah came to the city of Nineveh and he preached around this city. And you know, friend, the word of God was with power. And as he preached the word of God, this great city of Nineveh started to tremble. And the city got down on its knees and the city including the king, repented. When God spared the city, you'd think that Jonah would have been glad. But he wasn't glad. He was mad. You know why he was mad? Because he hated the Assyrians and he wanted the God of the Hebrews to come and wipe them out. But God isn't like that. You know why? God loves He loves you and He loved the people who were right there in the wicked city of Nineveh. But when those people turned to God, when they repented of their sins, God freely forgave them and God spared the city. I want you to know today, whoever you are, whatever you are doing, that the great God of heaven loves you just as He loved the city of Nineveh. Nineveh is the city that was made famous by the story of Jonah. Now, it's a very interesting story. It tells the story about a man who the Bible said was a prophet. And God said, Jonah, I want you to go and tell those people in Nineveh to repent. And Jonah said, you can send me anywhere, but don't send me to Nineveh. Because he knew that these people were the most bloodthirsty people in the world. They were the most vicious people in the world. And uh, the Bible tells the interesting story about Jonah, how he had a, had a submarine voyage before he really got to his destination. But uh, after some uh, interesting circumstances, Jonah arrived in the city of Nineveh. And uh, here he found a tremendous city, one of the greatest cities of the ancient world. This was the the great city of Sennacherib, these great warlords that made the whole world tremble. And uh, I wanted to go to Nineveh. I had been there. Here are some of the great Assyrian warlords. And uh, I wanted to go there because the, the Hebrew prophets had said so much about these kings and so much about the soldiers and so much about the armies and so much about their, their battles that I wanted to go and check it out for myself. Uh, now, ooh, just hold it here. This, this one here, we can miss most of the pictures, but you mustn't miss this one. The Bible talks about a man by the name of Jehu. And Jehu was the king of Israel. And when you read in the Bible, uh, it it talks about how Jehu used to rush along like mad in his chariot. They were looking out of a window one day and they said, who is this man who is coming? And uh, the other person said, it must be Jehu because he drives like a madman. Really driving the chariot along. Now here, you see this man kneeling here? This is the great Assyrian warlord Sennacherib. And the man kneeling down before him is the Israelite king, Jehu. This is the only time that I know in the ancient inscriptions where you have a picture of of an Israeli king. But the Bible talks about Sennacherib and it talks about how he came up and besieged the city of Jerusalem. And I want to refer to this as... now. Gentlemen, get these sharp because this is this is a marvelous, this is this is a wonderful story. And I want to tell the folks some of this amazing, wonderful story about Sennacherib, this man who is noted around the world for his almost satanic cruelty. In the book of Kings, 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 13. Now you'll have to take it from me because you can't see it but in 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 13 it says that Sennacherib came up to Jerusalem and surrounded the city of Jerusalem and Sennacherib came up with a total of 185,000 soldiers. And uh, they surrounded the city of Jerusalem. And Sennacherib sent his general and said, Tell the people to surrender because nobody can withstand the might of them, the mighty Assyrian armies. He said, You might as well surrender and, and give up now while the going is still good for you. And there was a king there by the name of Hezekiah. And uh, so he was there in the city and he was surrounded by the might of the Assyrian armies. Now this... This prism has been found over there in Nineveh. And in this prison are the words written in the strange cuneiform wedge-shaped writing. And the words are, Hezekiah, a prisoner in Jerusalem, shut up like a bird in a cage. The very words, almost the very words that you read about in the Bible concerning this historical incident are recorded there in this Sennacherib prison. Now the rest of the story is a very interesting story because it says while the Assyrians were surrounding the city of of Jerusalem, an incredible thing happened to them and those men were destroyed overnight. And Sennacherib rushed rushed back to his palace. He went back to his palace over there in Nineveh. He went back to his his palace over there in Nineveh. And while he was worshipping his God, his sons rose up against him and murdered him. And so the story that you read in the Bible, in the book of Kings, has been fully collaborated by the latest discoveries of archaeology in the land of Nineveh. And so here is another confirmation that the book is true. The old city of Nineveh is mentioned many, many times in the Bible. In fact, the Bible had some rather extravagant claims to make about this place. The Bible said it was one of the greatest cities that the world had ever seen. In fact, it ruled over a a massive empire, ruled over by a group of bloodthirsty tyrants who made the world to tremble. But then this city was lost to civilization, would you believe it, for about two and a half thousand years. And skeptics said, of course, the Bible is wrong. You can't believe the Bible, they said. They said the Bible is historically inaccurate and there was no such place as the city of Nineveh. So I came to Mesopotamia in the land of Iraq. Of course, Mesopotamia is simply the old word that means the land between the two rivers. And I came to the land between the two rivers, the river Euphrates and the Tigris, looking for evidence. You see, I want to know for myself, can a person really believe the Bible? Now the Bible had made these extravagant claims about the old Assyrian Empire and about the capital of the Assyrian Empire, the city of Nineveh, and so I came looking for evidence, let me tell you what I have found. I have found that Nineveh indeed was exactly what the Bible said it was. A tremendous city, a city of might and power and tremendous wealth. And what is more, are you listening to me? Let me tell you something amazing. I discovered, I discovered that this book is absolutely true, not only from the viewpoint of history, but from the viewpoint of prophecy. Now, let me tell you what I'm talking about. About 2,800 years ago, when Nineveh was the greatest city in the world, ruling over a tremendous empire, along came a little prophet by the name of Nahum. And he said the city would be absolutely destroyed, made a place of chaos, it would be reduced to rubble. When I came to Nineveh, I discovered that the prophecy had been literally fulfilled. And as I stand here in Innova day and gaze around the walls of this once upon a time massive place, I've come to one startling conclusion. You can believe the Bible. It is authentic. It is historically reliable. It is the Word of God. After going to these places, take it from me. I have seen with my own eyes. I have seen the prophecies fulfilled. I know it is true. Not because somebody has told me. I know it is true because I've seen it, you see. I'm going to put up three words here. Faith. Fact. And over here, I'm going to put up another word. And that word is feeling. One, two, three. Let me give you just a a little philosophy on on belief. People say to me, uh, if I say to people, I say, now what word do you think there is the most important word? A person's faith or fact or feeling? What is the most important word? And if I were to turn to you and say, what is, now don't tell me because I don't want to embarrass you. I want to stay friends with you for a while. If I were to say to you, what do you think is the most important word there on the, on the blackboard or the chalkboard as, as my American friends call it? We call it a blackboard. Uh, they would say, well, faith. Faith's the most important word. I'd have to say with all courtesy and all due respect, I don't believe that faith there is the most important word. Faith simply means believing. But you can believe a lot of hogwash. You can be so deluded that you can believe that this glass desk is is really made out of diamonds. But, you know, you can have faith it's made out of diamonds because you're blind or something else, but it doesn't make it made out of diamonds. The fact is, it's made out of, well, I don't know what it's made out of, I don't think it's made out of glass, but it's made out of something that isn't diamonds. It's made out of a substitute for glass. What I'm trying to say is this. Faith simply means what you believe. But there is something more important than what a person believes, and that is the truth, fact. What I want to find tonight is this. What is truth? The most important question is, is what is truth? Now, Jesus Christ, the the person who was a Jew... A person who, who commenced the Christian church, who was venerated even by the Arab people, Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So if you want to be free, if you really want to have freedom, you better know what is truth. And truth is another word for fact. And I've gone to these countries because I have wanted to find out what are the facts, what is the truth. And people say, what about feeling? Isn't feeling very important? Yes, feeling is important. But your feelings are very, very subjective. When your blood sugar is low, you're not going to feel too good, are you? You know, if your blood sugar is low... Or if your blood sugar is very, very high and you're a diabetic, or if you've got a migraine, maybe you're not going to feel too good, but your feelings do not alter the facts. And what I want to do in these meetings is show you people the facts of history so that you and I can put our faith in the facts, and that's going to make us eventually all feel very good about it. You see? We are, on the whole, a lot of us are very emotional people. You know, we're stirred emotionally. We, we run hot and we run cold. Listen, feelings do not change the facts. And one of the great facts that I believe in is this, that there is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven. People say, I don't feel it's true. It doesn't matter whether you feel it or not. It doesn't change the fact. It is a fact because it is true. What really is the message of Nineveh? What do we discover when we go to these old cities? The message is this. There is a God in heaven and the Bible is true. And because there is a God in heaven and because the Bible is true, you and I can find meaning in life. You and I can have peace. We can have joy. We can have contentment. And finally, at the end of the road, we can have everlasting life.